the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Healthcare Now, paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program is recorded to air at this time. Healthcare premiums through the roof. So much to think about when it comes to healthcare. Who do you talk to? Where do you go next? Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now with host Mark Chant and Larry Jones. And now let's head into the Healthcare Now studios. Welcome to Healthcare Now, and thanks for joining us on this Saturday afternoon. I'm Dr. Mark, and I'm here with my co-host, Larry Jones. Hey, Larry, how are you doing today? Good afternoon, Dr. Mark. Good to be with you. Hey, we're going to talk a lot about the show before we uh, get started, so I'll kind of skip our main intro, but uh, you had sort of a little... Self uh, pat on the back announcement for us, didn't well, you? Well, yeah, I just wanted our listeners to know that this is right at our 40th show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we started this thing back in January with two purposes. The first purpose is to educate healthcare consumers or help build educated healthcare consumers. Mm-hmm. And the second one is to have a conversation with all the different shareholders in healthcare and talk about how to navigate a very complex healthcare system. Right. And I think we identified it as a, a complex and an incredibly expensive yes. system. Yes. And we promised that we're going to sort of follow the money and follow the dollars and see right. where that all, that is all spent. Sure. And our feedback, Dr. Mark, to date over almost 10 months mm-hmm. has been very positive. Yes. And I think a lot of the people really appreciate all the different people we've interviewed yeah. on the show. Yeah, the, the guests uh, like have been Dr. amazing. Like Dr. Mike last week. Uh, that was incredible. Show. Yeah, great show. Yeah. I, we're going to get lots of comments uh, continued on that show. Yeah. That's a great yeah. show. But I just want our listeners to know that uh, we are going to continue the same format yes. in a non-political, non-opinionated way, right. bringing facts and education right. to our listeners. Yeah, I have to apologize. Occasionally, I get a little opinionated, but, but well, that's I, know, okay. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Well, well, everybody has an opinion. Yeah, <laughs> and we are going to uh, extend a few things. We're going to develop our own website yes. uh, because I think one of the parts that we really would like to see more yes. of is more interaction from our listeners to drive what they want to hear about at the show. Right. Right. Um, we've done that a good bit, but I think it's it's wide open yeah. to have a lot yeah. more input there, yeah. don't you? You're right, absolutely. And again, once we get the website up, we'll have... Uh, numerous call-in numbers, as well as emails for our listeners to respond to. Yep, and we've got to get some voicemails for the old schools just so we can uh, hear some voices on and check messages. So, No, looking forward to that. It's going to be a great – I mean, I don't know when you start celebrating. uh, Like you say, we're almost hitting 40th. I'm looking forward to that that one-year anniversary. Absolutely. uh, But I think more than anything, the more feedback we get, the more success we're going to have. I agree. Great. But So we, we do have a guest this week. We do. Yeah, yeah. His name is Brian Sowards. He's with My Vital View, and we're going to talk about remote patient monitoring in the next couple of segments. Uh, Brian uh, has a very unique program Mm -hmm. monitoring multiple disciplines, and it all fits with where healthcare is going outside the physician office and outside the hospital. Absolutely. It's 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 one of those things that we've talked about when we talk about the big things in healthcare that are happening and coming up, and it fits with telemedicine, it fits with the technologies that are outside 
the operating room and outside right. the hospital. Right. So it's pretty pretty exciting. Look forward to look forward to hearing from Brian. Sure. Well, we've got a little bit of an update on COVID-19. As you said, we had uh, Dr. Michael Mazinski on last week, and he, man, he, he got us up to date. He answered questions. Uh, it was great. It was if great. If our listeners listen to that, they're going to go get vaccinated. Oh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yep. And, and so so that's a good good yeah. good punchline there. You can uh, check on the uh, podcast sites and go listen to that one. Exactly. It's dropped now and uh, really, really a great show. So that that being said, mm-hmm. we do know that Pfizer did apply for the approval of their uh, vaccine for five to eleven year olds. It's at right. one third the dose. Yes, um, the CDC is going to review it this month, and and hopefully, although it's kind of funny, yeah. they were like the media was targeting Halloween because it's a kids' holiday, I guess. Like, right, right. But but it doesn't look like that's likely. It's like the first some, or second week right in November, yeah. somewhere in that area. So, so I think we're going to see a good number of folks seek out that vaccine when we look at the. 12 to 15-year-olds, mm-hmm. I mean, the percentages have slowly gone up, but they were pretty low for most most yep. of the time. Yep. So I think that, I don't know, I think we're going to well, see a bigger jump, or is there going to be more well, hesitation? Let me let me give you some stats. Mm-hmm. Right now, one in five new positive tests in America are children. Right. Which one is, in five. Which is completely different than the first wave of COVID. Exactly. This I mean, is the, they, they were... The Delta variant yeah, has made a difference. Exactly. Yeah, they, yeah. they were a infinitesimally small group right. that, that were positive. Now, there right. wasn't as much testing going on, but Dr. Mike brought that up, and he said it was, he a, it was a legit thing that now we're seeing the involvement of the kids way higher because of the yep. Delta variant. And, and it's interesting. We're still, of the 12 and up uh, population, mm-hmm. 68 million people still have not been vaccinated. Right. Yep. But this 5 to 11 group includes 28 million children, Dr. Yes, Mark. right. And, it, you know, I thought there was a couple of interesting stats on this. It was stated that 92% of this 28 million kids actually receive normal vaccinations. Right, to go to school. Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. But it's only expected that 34% of this 28 million population will actually get the COVID-19 shot. Well, it makes sense because we've had a pretty steady group of folks that avoided vaccines for religious or, yep. or, or health concern purposes. And it, but it's a much smaller percentage than those yep. that have avoided yep. this vaccine. Right. Um, and when you ask you know, why that is, I mean, it's it's new. OK, I mean, I think yep. people look at the, you know, measles vaccine. They look at some of the th- standard things that we have to get our tetanus shots. Everybody's just so used to getting a tetanus yep. shot. Yep. But the reality is that technology is way behind the technology of these RNA and DNA. No question. I mean, it's it's and it's not a pandemic. No, right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. And so right. we we it's it's counterintuitive, but the numbers are what the numbers right. are. Right. So when we transition that group, certainly the 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 anti-vaxxers of history are not going to have their right. five to eleven year olds vaccinated, and then that additional group that didn't get vaccinated themselves are not going to have their kids vaccinated either. Well, I think it's concerning that. If you take the 68 million and the 28 million kids, that's 96 million people in America have still not been vaccinated, Dr. Right, Mark. Right, and that's we're not going to get the herd immunity what, with those eight numbers. Eight months after we – I know it's – how long have we had the vaccine out? Oh, yeah, we've been uh, in January, so, yeah, so we're 10 months. 10 months, mm-hmm. yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. That's so, very concerning. No, no, it is, and, and like I say, it's not – even though we've got a lot more people that have been infected with the Delta variant, so – so they have some level of immunity for some period of time. We're missing out these windows in which we need a large number of people vaccinated to really wipe out the disease exactly. here in the U.S. I mean, and abroad is a whole other story. Right. 
Well, you know, last week when Dr. Mike was on, we talked about uh, the schools since he was one of the Mm -hmm. medical advisors for Orange Orange County County Public Schools. And if these kids get vaccinated, it's definitely going to help with the children who are immune compromised, enabling them to go back to school. And then if you recall, even my 12 year old granddaughter who had both shots. Yep was sent home and quarantined for seven days because she had been exposed. Right, right. It's going to stop all that nonsense. It, it should, yeah. and, and a lot of that's going to be messaging and trust of the, uh, right. the principals because they have, have left the level of decision point to the person who picks up the phone right. when you call in and say, my kids had this or this exposure, right? Yeah. So, But you're right. I think that's going to do, and it's it's going to save spread. I mean, the, the biggest idea is you get this thing, well, the kids don't get that sick. Yeah. They do get sick. They do get um, sick, I just, and they can I, they can infect others. Right now, I don't know. I, I can't even remember if we talked about it, but I had a patient that uh, came to a surgeon, and I diagnosed with that MISC. Yeah, you did talk about that last was week. Very yep. ill, yep. and it didn't didn't have a bad run with COVID. Right, you know, it was a ten year old. Right, um, just knew knew that they had had it, had a positive mm-hmm. test, and then had a uh, had a hospital admission because of that MISC. Mm-hmm. So. So it's it's a real concern, but probably as big or bigger concern is if they get the Delta variant, they're going to bring it home and they're going to spread it and back to the, the folks that aren't vaccinated. Yeah. And and I think one of the bigger issues when it all boils down to it, the lack of class time that these kids have had in school in the last year and a half is really alarming. It could take us a long time to alarming. catch up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. At every level. I mean, I, I work with uh, medical students and we were just sure. talking how the, the fourth year medical students basically had in the third year as well had these covid years because of the lockdown but but then they looked at he goes yeah but the ones that are in their first and second year they've had an entirely different experience of education and how that's going to affect them moving forward at at every level it's 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 not it's not just going to okay we're not doing anymore that that effect went away and then we talk about the workplace and we'll talk about the healthcare workplace Mm -hmm. in a minute but overall you know that so many parents have had to stay home sure, and either work from home or completely yeah. quit their jobs to take care of their kids who yep. weren't in school. Yep, absolutely. If yep. they're not, if they're not in class, they're at yeah. home. Yeah, and that that definitely somebody's got to look out for them. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's you know people are scre- screaming about the economy and rightfully so, but that's a big part of it. Big part. And we're going to have to see you know where that all goes. Now we've got so we've got that's the Pfizer, right? Uh, so Pfizer's also got their their booster on emergency yep. approval. Yep. Uh, Moderna has requested, yep. but it's not not there yet. Correct? And not then, yet. Not yet. And J and J has applied for emergency use of their booster shot. And but, AstraZeneca applied for something as well, but we don't even have that. Uh, yeah, we don't have that here in, in this the country. US. Yeah, they. they yeah. I, I guess they haven't applied to the FDA for anything. I don't yeah. think so. So just yeah. the European. Yeah, groups. the European. Yeah. So I mean, they, there was a Dr. Mike had an interesting comment about the J and J that that the booster shot for the J and J might even be a better thing than the original shot right, right. and that the idea just because it's a different type of technology it's actually an, an adenovirus another virus that carries a piece of dna to the system so our system reacts right. to that protein yep. that it creates differently right. so so he was actually very encouraged by the thought that the j&j booster might be a positive thing but if you recall dr mark the original j&j shot was only approved for adults 18 and over right and the booster will also be in that same 18 age and group. over right it, so it won't and, deal with the kids and I, I don't know what the percentage is but i know that we gave out a lot more pfizer and moderna here in the u.s so uh, j&j Correct. and astrazeneca yeah Worldwide, were a different right, story, right, right. but so I think that's uh, that's not going to be as impactful here in the U.S. But there's still a lot of people 
who did get that J&J because it was one and done until they kind of planned out that deal. So, You know, uh, changing subjects a little bit, uh, employment in the healthcare sector, as we talked about a minute ago, fell by an estimated 17,500 jobs. And that's a preliminary date wow. from data from the U.S. Mm-hmm. Bureau of Statistics. But it's stating that now nearly one in five healthcare workers have quit their jobs during the pandemic, Dr. Mark. I mean, I saw that. And Do when you we see that see, in the hospitals? Yeah. No, yeah, we definitely have uh-huh. saw it, seen it in the hospitals. And it okay. was this, depending on where you were, what your cities, you know, Orlando, we're, we're, we've got big hospital systems. You know, we didn't get overwhelmed. They took care of things quite well. There were definitely people who moved around. There were actually a lot of people that were sort of furloughed, not sort of, they were furloughed because like the emergency room visits were down. But when you go to these smaller towns, there were hospitals that were just completely inundated. And quite frankly, a lot of the employees just felt unsafe. So it's very hard in in a country as large as ours to come up with one reason and I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to see in the metropolitan areas how many healthcare workers lost their jobs or, well, or stepped away. Well, now that you mention that, there was a survey indicating medical staffing issues, and from February 20th to February 21, 30 percent of healthcare workers either lost their jobs or were furloughed uh, or quit. Yep. 12 and 18, 31 percent. But let me throw you a couple other stats. Among the healthcare workers who kept their jobs during the pandemic, 31% now say they're even considered leaving the, the healthcare workplace. Yeah. Well, it's been stressful. Yeah. I mean, it's been, yeah. a, it's been a huge effect on everyone. And if you walk yeah. around the hospitals, uh, what I saw, so in my pediatric surgical side, mm-hmm. is my, my groups, they were being pushed out to different areas of the hospital to cover. Right. And they were going to areas that they weren't comfortable with. I mean, if you work in a pediatric emergency room or a pediatric OR, Mm -hmm. and then you have to go to an adult ICU, you're not not a happy camper. I mean, they did it. They were were really the healthcare heroes that we talk about. But what stress. Great, great topic. Great conversation, Dr. Mark. We'll be right back with Brian Sowards. Mark Chayot, M.D., practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com.
Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. This is Larry. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Mark, and we've got a very special guest with us today, Dr. Mark, Brian Swords, with My Vital View, a remote patient monitoring company. Brian is the CEO and owner of My Vital View in Central Florida. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks, Larry. Dr. Mark, I appreciate it. We're, yeah. we're glad to have you today. Yeah, looking forward to chatting with you. This is really going to be an exciting topic and a uh, I think the listeners are going to learn a lot, learn a lot in the next uh, few minutes. Yeah. Well, you know, we have talked a lot on the show over the last 10 months about how healthcare is moving from the physician office and the hospital to the home. And Brian, I think your piece of this is very important for our listeners to understand what we're doing here. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about My Vital View and uh, a little bit about your company? Absolutely. So My Vital View was created in 2019. And that's really after uh, I spent about a little over a decade as the CEO of an international device manufacturer. Uh, we distributed hundreds of thousands of devices to be used in patients' homes. Uh, but the problem that we found is that the data never really found its way back to the provider, at least, uh, you know, never in a timely or meaningful way. Uh, and we realized that, you know, there's an abundance of home diagnostic devices, but offering the ability to capture, analyze, and report in real time was fairly non-existent. Right. I mean, we've seen that, and now even on the on just commercial television, watching uh, watching a little Monday Night Football here and there, the the ads for that and the different Lots companies ads, that are yeah. coming out for these devices, but I, I sort of stare at them and go, well, great, this is going to create a lot of phone calls, but it's not creating any data. You know, so that's that's really a, that's really a, a gap. So so how does how does my vital view close that gap? Well, so my, my vital view, um, <clears throat> we use technology that, that allows patients to gather personal health data, uh, transmit, transmit that back to the healthcare professional for review and analysis. Um, and that's typically known as remote patient monitoring, one of the programs that, that we focus in. And the benefits of remote patient monitoring are the fact that these patients with chronic or acute conditions can uh, regularly be monitored from home or other convenient locations. Um, and, and the additional health data kind of equips the healthcare professionals to act proactively on behalf of their patients and ultimately resulting in fewer complications and hospitalizations. Yeah, so as we, as we uh, get rolling into this, it might be helpful. Uh, it's always on radio trying to paint pictures. So right. what devices and what measurements, you know, top, you know, most common to least common, yeah, yeah do, do you guys dabble in, so to speak? Yep, absolutely. The... Um, so when it comes to the premise of the RPM, you know, technology or whatever is for, again, uh, to have more frequent comprehensive view of vital signs associated with different chronic conditions. And those chronic conditions would be like uh, COPD, hypertension, congestive heart failure, diabetes, and then uh, to be able to manage those disease states, uh, the different types of devices we have. And obviously, they're all FDA approved. Um, they're wireless Bluetooth connectivity. We also have some wireless cellular connected devices. Um, but those include, but not limited to, uh, you know, blood pressure units, weight scales, pulse oximetry, thermometers, glucose analyzers. And then we've also got some other devices that uh, that tend to be a little more expensive in the $3,000 range That because uh, we also have some organizations that, that partner with us, like home health agencies and transitional care companies that are also using other types of devices that, the nurses carry around, but also feed into the system and provide, you know, different vitals and meaningful information, again, 
to recognize things before they happen in order to, to reduce complications or readmissions. Okay. Well, Brian, you mentioned a number of different uh, chronic diseases that you monitor. Can you kind of talk about each one of them a little bit, and how does it actually work with the patient? Yep. So we take, uh, so, you know, uh, taking a step back or looking at from a 10,000-foot view, we've got devices that go in the patient's home. We have some type of way to get that to the Internet into our cloud-based analytic system, uh, which the, the provider has access to. And the different ways that is that is that is that they're either Bluetooth through if the patient has a smartphone, it'll Bluetooth over to their phone through an app that we have, and then uh, funnel it to the cloud. Or if they don't have a smartphone or any type of internet or access to the internet, then we provide them a cellular enabled device to where it just it'll connect to the internet by itself. Then once it gets up to the cloud, the uh, the provider gives us kind of what we call the expectations, and that's really the, the care plan for the patient. Um, so we digitize that, plug it in the cloud. And then, you know, run the analytics every time we receive information or necessarily if we don't receive information. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we've got adherence, you know, kind of algorithms to see if they're testing, if they're testing where that where that test result fell within range. Um, and then we set up different parameters. Um, obviously, you've got your desired target range. Then you also have, you know, maybe an elevated range. And then you have also absolute ranges. Um, so, for example, so with hypertension, uh, let's say you have a systolic range where you want your desired range to be 90 to 150. And then, obviously, you might have an elevated range, and then you have a, an absolute range, which would be 200. So if you're ever over 200, then the provider would want to be notified immediately. Um, obviously, we'd also be sending the same notifications to the patient as well. Um, but that would be an acute episodic event that uh, that they want to be notified where if it's just maybe elevated between 150 and 200, then we'd have to know how many times within a certain period of time does that have to happen to kind of qualify to be an event. Gotcha. Uh, so the way that we've designed our analytics is we have expectations that the provider you know gives us. Then we have exceptions based on those, those um, expectations. And then some of those exceptions by themselves will create an event or notification, and then other exceptions will be bundled together uh, in order to create an event. And in both scenarios, you know, we notify the provider, um, any other authorized uh, healthcare provider that the patient is authorized for us to notify, and obviously the patients themselves. Now, do you does your company get involved in the actual wearables, or is that third party that that you've kind of worked with, and then? And what you're really responsible for is running these analytics and keeping patient, doctor, and you connected. Correct, yeah. So my vital view really focuses on the software as a service and platform as a service. Um, So we manage the the apps and connectivity, um, the cloud, the analytics, and then we partner with other manufacturers to bring in whatever device and and, uh, capture whatever vitals we need in order to... So would there be, would, would some of the consumers, might they already have these devices and just not have the connectivity? Correct. Yep. We have, uh, we have integrations with Fitbit um, and some other um, uh, like glucose de- uh, you know, devices like Dexcom. Gotcha. Uh, Apple Watch and things like that. Yeah. So those things can flow into the system uh, once they sign up. So can your program work through like Apple Watch and Fitbit and things like that? Or are those separate programs? Uh, well, we'll use the information out of those devices and feed them into our system. Um, and remember, so we partner with the providers in order to capture the pertinent information, and then we filter that information and then present it to them in a timely fashion and kind of the way they, they want to be notified. Right, because I we wanted to – have all the white noise. Yeah, I wanted to point that out because I think as, a, as the consumers 
look at these things, it can be, I mean, this is a high level of technology that you guys manage here. And, you know, the, the software technology is a, a, a particular space. We talk about it very often. My, my oldest is, is in that in that realm. And sometimes I'll look at him and say, I have no idea what you just said. But, uh, and, and I feel like I'm ahead of the game because at least I talk about it. But, but I think for the, for the consumers out there, if that, that's very important for them to hear that, you know, they may be driving the use of this technology by walking into their, their doctor's office and saying, Hey, listen, I have, this is, I got this watch here and it's supposed to do all these things, but I don't, I don't know how to connect to it, you know, and, and so you guys have put together that gap and I, I clearly, you figured this out. This is, this is why you started the company, but I think really important for our listeners to get that because they they can drive this. They can walk into their primary care physician's office who just put them on a new blood pressure med and say, Mm -hmm. you know, I, if I have this blood pressure cuff, then it can communicate with you. And then you can tell me, am I taking too much? Am I taking too little? I mean, that's a great opportunity. So, Brian, in the value-based world, uh, I know you have talked with us. We're going to implement your programs and some of our programs. So tell our listeners a little bit about what that really means as far as how you're interacting with our patients and our physicians. Yep. The uh, So we've we've kind of looked at it from we've been doing it for quite some time. And, uh, and obviously with, with time um, comes experience, and uh, we feel that we've been able to, to kind of round off some of the ref edges there 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 presents uh, when you want to stand up an RPM program or enroll patients and do things. Um, so we kind of pride ourselves on how easy we make it, and it's funny that you mentioned before about you know kind of that that gap and um, and how sophisticated people are with technology. Obviously, the target market or patients that uh, that are on Medicare that are that are using these types of products. Um, are not exactly tech savvy, right? Um, so keeping all of that in mind, obviously we built the system where you know the keep it simple um, methodology to where it's very easy for anybody to use. Um, actually, we've got a number of patients that are part of our program that are over 100 years old. Um, wow. so if they can do it. You know, we're saying anybody can do it, right? Yeah. Right. Um, on the flip side of that, there's also the administrative burden of going to a provider and uh, and you know implementing a program like this. Um, so we really kind of look at its onus on us to be able to take the administrative burden um, off of the providers, um, kind of provide a turnkey uh, program for them, um, and uh, and we do that by facilitating the patient outreach, the education, the enrollment. Um, we do all the device setup and shipments, you know, directly to the patients, um, track their daily adherence, and make sure that you know everybody's testing. Obviously, manage the population health data, you know, alerting for at-risks or patients that are trending out of control, um, managing, obviously, the clinical dashboard with all the graphs and calculations and things that a provider would want um, when they when they go in and view. And all of that is completely customizable, so they can tell us that these are the things that are most important to me, or when I log in, this is the date range that I would like things defaulted to. So even though we've tried to build our program to where it's got a lot of scalability and flexibility to be able to manage each patient uniquely and individually. Um, we've also uh, been able to craft that to where, um, you know, we can scale these things very easily, you know, implement this with a provider, but still give them that, that customized viewpoint and, and, a, and communication with the patients. You know, we've got, we're going to do a, an additional segment here after the break. Yeah. And a couple of things I really wanted to touch on is, when you engage a provider or provider group, what 
what percentage of patients are you seeing them lock in and how, how do you convince them that this is the right thing? And secondarily and probably related to that is what's the payer model for this just so we can educate the folks but we're gonna we're gonna go to break and that'll give us plenty of time i don't want to give you 30 seconds to get all that information out there but uh, we're gonna go to break right now and when we get back we'll uh, talk about this and a little bit more we'll be right back The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. This is Larry. I'm with my co-host, Dr. Mark, and we're talking to Brian Sowards, who is with My Vital View, a remote patient monitoring company. And we've had some good discussion, but let's go back to how we're coordinating patient care mm-hmm. and how engaging are our physicians uh, with this program, Brian, if you want to talk about that, absolutely. The uh, now our our customers kind of span through uh, you know uh, the, the whole continuum of care um, from not only the providers and provider groups to home health agencies, transitional care companies, assisted living, independent living. Um, so the uh, the opportunity of benefiting from this is in, in, uh, is, is a myriad. But uh, but when it comes to general physicians and physician groups, that's the majority of our customer base. Right and um, and and they've the uh, RPM and CCM are the two main programs that we push: remote patient monitoring and chronic care management. Um, and the uh, the regulatory requirements for for those programs uh, for RPM you need one chronic condition, and for chronic care management you need two chronic conditions. Um, they're both uh, originally sponsored by Medicare, and then most of the other insurance companies have followed suit, where they all are. Are reimbursing for for you know both or at least one of the programs. Um, obviously, the commercial insurance is uh, kind of a quagmire to where it depends on the patient's insurance and their specific plan and benefit. Uh, My Vital View does offer a no charge kind of insurance uh, verification, um, so we help our providers by allowing them just to kind of see who would benefit from this program. Uh, who qualifies and who would benefit, and then they will provide that information to us. And then we'll be able to reach out and kind of confirm if it's a commercial insurance and, you know, who would be covered and what right. the co-pays would be. What's the typical um, for, things that are covered? I mean, I, I'm, we're not holding you to it, but let's say yeah. for your typical Medicare plan. Yeah, I mean, the, the main the main chronic conditions that people are managing, obviously hypertension is extremely popular, um, COPD, Oh, I, I actually mean, like in the program itself. Like, do they cover device right. reimbursement? Doctor, but yeah, yeah. yeah, what are they reimbursing? Yeah. 
Oh sure, yep. So the uh, so there's a, a couple of different CPT codes for uh, for remote patient monitoring. One is the technical component. Uh, so they'll pay for the not really the devices in particular, but it's but part of that bundled payment is you need to provide the devices. You also have to provide the connectivity. So you got to provide a, a device that's FDA approved that offers wireless transmissions, you know, automated transmissions to the cloud. Um, and then the connectivity and, and the access to the cloud is all part of the technical portion. Mm-hmm. Then there's also a CPT code for the professional component, and that's for the physician or the healthcare professional documenting and doing their clinical review. Um, so for the technical component, we've got to provide devices, connectivity, and apps, some type of way of being able to connect that device to the cloud and then capture and report 16 individual days' worth of uploads within a particular month. And for the professional component, you uh, have to document 20 minutes of reviewing that information as well as having a conversation with the patient or the caregiver at least once a month. Now, have you uh, have you can... seen the, the, the payers? So you're obviously on that technical side, so you've got to make that work. Have, have they come up with reasonable numbers to make that a success? Because we need to set everybody out to to really make this work together. Yeah, and that's so when, when we uh, enroll the, the physicians and they, they, they add this to their care plan, um, and then they'll instruct the patients that they want them to do daily uploads, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be, you know, blood pressure, glucose, weight, you know, something. Um, so typically, you know, and then we also manage the adherence side of it. Again, that's one of the administrative uh, tasks that, that we take ownership of. Um, to uh, so if we're not receiving information, we'll call out to the patient, ask him if there's anything's going wrong, or kind of remind them that they need to test. Right. Well, um, to and, go back uh, to Dr. Mark's question, yeah, Medicare has identified reimbursement levels for these two codes, right. and hopefully the the private insurance companies have followed suit with similar reimbursement. Is that correct, Brian? That's correct. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, yep. I mean, I think what we see too often in healthcare is those that have been uh, they they've got the system figured out and they're sort of killing it. And then when we have something new, I mean, there's a lot of resistance yep. to get started. And, no question. And then you'll get legislation that'll push like, well, you need to do this. Well, just because it's there, I mean, I, yep. I'm glad to hear that that your program. I mean, it, it can it can it has a chance to be successful, right? Because right. sometimes right. they just don't. That's right. You know. So, th- so that's yeah. That no, makes and this sense. is this has been yeah uh, well received, and especially and really by the providers and the patients themselves. I mean, anytime you manage a certain amount of patients, you're going to get a certain percentage that wants to stay arm's length. Um, but I would say over ninety percent of our patients really embrace it with open arms. Yeah, um, they applaud the providers for for implementing you know this type of program, especially if the patient is living by themselves. Um, you know, it's almost like having somebody looking over their shoulder in between. You know, doctors visit having a little guardian angel there. That's that's sure. Uh, yeah, you see those ads on TV things. all the time. Right, right. I've yeah. fallen and I can't get up. Yeah, no, it, you it, see it, it all the time. Yeah, Brian, let me ask yep. you, uh, and and I want to get Doctor Mark's opinion on this too. After you uh, kind of respond, but you know, for years and and even up until recently, patients, let's say they go in with some type of a cardiac issue, they're going to sit and be monitored in the hospital for three or four days. And with your remote patient monitoring, it seems that we can cut hospital costs, inpatient costs, dramatically by monitoring these these people in the home and letting them get out of the hospital. You want to talk about that for a minute? Yep, absolutely. And that, uh, and you're absolutely spot on. There's a you know the 
there's a magical you know amount of time that people stay in the hospital, and it's typically related to you know what they were uh, what they're admitted for and, and how long their typical stay would be. Um, and I think that also waters down or blends down into the skilled nursing facility, um, where if they have a certain amount of days approved, that magically those the amount of days that, 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 that the patient's there. Whereas having this type of technology in the patient's home, they could be discharged, you know, days earlier, um, and still be able to maintain that quality care that you need, uh, but certainly save on cost. Yeah, you know, I think the the devices have sort of led the way because you know even if you go in to see your cardiologist and you say I've got you know, I feel like I'm having some skipped heartbeats here, and they'll put you on a monitor. But most of the time, that information just sits on a disc until they bring right. it back. And I, I know that patients can be very uncomfortable with that because they're thinking, okay, you're looking for something wrong, yep. but nobody's going to know about it till after it happens That's right. and possibly days after. So Or the, something bad yeah, happens. Right, and so yeah, you're, yeah. you're closing this gap. And I, I, can, I can imagine that when this system is up and running – the patients are probably thrilled. I mean, I, I'm sure they get a lot of kudos. I mean, I, how quickly have the, the practitioners jumped into this? Because they, they typically know what percentage of their patients are going to be chronic care management. And because there, there are other things that fall into that, that definition that they're already reimbursed for, totally unrelated to what you're doing. So they kind of know what the number is. Do they go? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a couple of patients, or do they, or do they go go all in? Um, they typically they go all in, and and if not, then Good they'll start off with a few, and mm-hmm. then get some of that positive feedback, and then see the moving parts and kind of all the information and what they're actually getting, and then they expand that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number of providers that have circled back to us and said that they didn't, you know, they've made medication changes, they've done other things that they would have never known about. Um, outside of the big ticket items like you know saving readmissions and things like that, but even down just to doing you know small uh, medication adjustments for right. hypertension, taking things, care of their patients, able to, yeah. to recognize this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Now, is do the Larry Adam mentioned this like early on? I think in the first segment is there a screen, if you will, where the patients can see anything? Sometimes that's a bad thing, right? But an so, alert, but, right? Yeah, but yeah. but yeah, yeah, if they so so they're not waiting. You know, they're not to get a call. Yeah, waiting to get yeah, a call yeah, or, or yeah. like, oh, should right. oh, was my phone off? And, you know, I mean, I can see some, exactly. some cases of paranoia. But but at the same time, we don't always immediately share information either because that can be confusing. Correct. Yep. No, absolutely. And that's so our system's designed as, as those exceptions happen, um, you know, and everything's driven by the provider. But we've got templates and things kind of mapped out for them to use. Um, but there's absolutely notifications that go back to the patient, and they could be text messages. We could also send emails. There's voice calls. We've got a number of different ways based on patient preference, how they want to receive that message. And then that message can be customizable, and it could also include patient education because we feel it's not, you know, it might not be enough just to tell somebody, hey, you're a little, your systolic is a little elevated, your glucose is a little elevated, or you're not, you haven't tested in the last three or four days. But instead of just telling them something, also educating them about that, providing that second layer of um, really trying to mimic what a nurse would do or what a call center would do um, to where, you know, they can they can pass that message along. Well, you know, you mentioned patient education. You know, so many employers today that really if they have more than 100 employees are mostly self-insured today. Right. And I can't imagine an employer not wanting to build this remote patient monitoring program into their overall health care plan for their employees and families. 
Absolutely. The cost savings is Especially incredible. when it comes to diabetes and things yeah. like that that are more prevalent yeah. in that, that age group and, and uh, impact uh, you know, their overall health care and, and dollars. You, met, you mentioned some of the skilled nursing facilities. Is there utilization in actual like nursing homes that, that are obviously, especially today, understaffed? And you know, this would be another way to, to monitor certain things for those clients. Yep, and we've partnered with skilled nursing and the fact where um, the, the residents there, obviously there's there's no billable CPT codes for them because it's all bundled into their care. Oh, right. Uh, but we do provide devices and integration with the software to be able to track and manage and share information with the physicians remotely. Um, and then after that, as some of the patients are discharged and going back home, um, they want to continue using that type of technology to, to help that transition back home and to make that more successful or they're not being readmitted. Sure. So during, you know, while they're in skilled nursing, obviously they're using things for their own benefit and to share information. And then as the patient's discharged, they're comfortable with it and, you know, they continue using the devices. Well, I'm even looking at the more the long-term care nursing homes. And so those patients are typically covered by Medicare or Medicaid, and, but not necessarily. They don't, they don't get the best uh, media coverage on how closely they're monitored with this be an area of utilization. I mean, I can imagine the nursing homes having it and being able to use that as a marketing technique would be a, a big positive. Correct. Yep. And that's and that's what they're doing here. Absolutely right. So, Brian, in, in this program, RPM with My Vital View, is there a cost, a copay to the patient on this program? Um, there is. There's copays and deductibles um, that are typical on these types of services, just like chronic care management. You know, there's also copays. Would that be comparable well. to a PCP visit copay, or how does that work? Um, so it's you know it's it's about you know uh, between fifteen to twenty dollars a month. Okay. Uh, for the That's patient, not bad. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it really versus drives... being in the hospital. Are you kidding? Well, or even just having that that extra doctor's visit right, where you're going right. to pay. You know, I mean, I think that's... healthcare at home. Yeah. Now, I, I think yep. this is this is what we imagine, and I'm sure you know that's how how your brain came to it too. Is we we there's there's going to be a time when we're all walking around with uh, these these devices, and and we already have them to a great extent on our smartphones, telling us. I, I know I've got I've got uh, one of the things where you can do the the EKG and the yep. blood pressure monitoring, yep. and my my scale can talk to me and tell right. me I ate you too much. Me you know, that. yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but but the question is, you know, how much use do you get out of that? Well, I tell you, Ryan, this has been great. I hope you had the opportunity to espouse all the uh, great things about your company that you should, uh, but uh, we want to keep in touch with you, and please keep in touch with us so we know what the progress has been, because this just seems fantastic. And also, Brian, how do they get in touch with you and VitalView? Um, so you go to our website, uh, myvitalview.com. Uh, you could email info at myvitalview.com. Or you can call our office at 321-765-6314. Well, thanks again, and we'll be right back. Absolutely. Thank you. My pleasure. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, 
practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. This is our last segment. Boy, the last two were great. Brian Sowards really taught us a lot about remote monitoring. And I hope that the listeners go to their physicians and say, hey, I want to know more about this. Exactly. Because I think that's what's going to drive. I mean, you and I sort of know this is out there. This is what we talk about every day. Right, right. People don't know this That's is available, true. and you know they need to know what it's going to cost yeah. them. And particularly I, I seniors, Doctor Mark, yeah. where over sixty-five right. seniors have at least two chronic illnesses. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have have parents that they worry about all exactly. the time. And this this takes a yep. piece of that away. So sure that was that was really great stuff. Yep. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, we, we we can talk dollars and cents in healthcare. We so, can, but yep. you know, before we get into that, Doctor Mark, you know, we we talk about COVID, we talk about shots, oh, sure. we talk about boosters all the time. But it's time for people to get their flu shot. Yeah, and I know you're bragging because you already got yours. I got it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, no, it, it, it is. And I still it, have a sore arm. <laughs> there you go. It is absolutely that season. Yep. Um, let's see, common questions. You can get your COVID shot and your flu shot same day. You can. Um, yep. yep. And mm-hmm. so they're uh, they're completely different. And you know, sometimes it it's sort of a double mm-hmm. down of uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna take the next day and lay low. Yep. I mean, you might as well get it everything well, out Dr. of the way. Mark, talk about medically the difference in the influenza strains and COVID, so that people oh, yeah. understand very clearly why they need to go get a flu shot. Yeah. I mean, these are completely different viruses. They're completely different vaccines. Uh, so the the COVID vaccination is for this particular uh, SAR, this SARS two this not novel coronavirus that causes COVID nineteen. the The vaccine itself is uh, either an RNA or a or mRNA or a DNA transmission. Right. Whereas when we look at influenza, there are a number of different viruses out there that cause the flu. Right, and so these these influenza viruses. When you go get your shot, you're actually getting uh, a vaccine that will increase your immunity to about three of the strains. Okay. And they pick the most common strains from the previous year. Is that how they do yeah. it? Yep. Yeah. So if it's a trivalent shot, yeah. it's okay. those three. So, you know, you get it. You don't always get it right, but mm-hmm. it's it's a numbers game. But it's a formula. Right? It's to, Exactly. Yeah. And okay. the CDC kind of manages over what that's going to look like, which is why, you know, you, your vaccine this year wasn't likely the same as the one last mm-hmm. year. The technology is the same, okay. Uh, but the uh, but the vac- and that's why people say, well, we get the flu shot every year. Are we going to have to get the COVID shot every year? Well, yeah. we don't know because. Well, but we get the flu shot every year because we're actually vaccinating against different viruses that are flu. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, right. so we need to do that, and it's it's always, you know. So now we have this other issue. We always see deaths with the flu. Yep. Um, but. We're, Actually, it's about sixty thousand deaths a year, Dr. right? Mark, and it's going to be flu. it's going to be really interesting to see where that number goes yep. because we are practicing healthcare differently. We're practicing self care differently, and we might see less transmission. Yep. Um, we've seen less transmission of the common cold, which is yet another different yep. set of viruses. Right, right. 
So, but but getting the flu shot definitely uh, something we we need to all get together and yep. do. We one of the issues after the the, pan, the first year of the pandemic, the big concern was people are going to get the flu. They're not going to get their shot, and they're right. going to take up beds at the hospital. Yep. Fortunately, we didn't see that. Well, last year, believe it or not, there were very few incidences of the influenza. Right. And I but think I it's because it. it was all coded as COVID. Well, maybe. I, no, I mean, no? I, no, probably not. I okay. mean, because I think I think on the, the the flip side of that, most people would say that they're calling everything COVID. Right? Exactly. But, That's where I'm but, coming but from. I, yeah. But uh, yeah, but I think I don't know. I think they were just at that during that period of time, everyone was getting a swab for both. OK. And uh, but I do believe that with masks and hand washing and and distancing that actually works for the flu as for well the flu as well yeah. and, and for the uh, common cold right, and right. everything else so okay. so so i mean i th- i think that's where the numbers yeah. go but but you know we can we can top it off by having a really weak flu season and and that, right. that's going right. to add to some of the some of the expenditures and time off and miss school that we we have exactly had, you know i haven't seen a number on how many people every year get the flu shot but it's significant oh yeah it I'd is say yeah, half yeah. the population it, yeah it is and and interestingly, in healthcare, I mean, that's mm-hmm. it's mandated. Oh, okay. Yeah, most of the uh, hospitals tell you if you didn't have to get it, didn't yeah. get the flu shot, then you have to wear a mask during the entire flu season. Right. And then once we now are all wearing masks anyway, the question came up: Do I still need to get my flu shot? Yep. And now it's yes, it's still mandated right. in most most of the hospitals. And systems. while we're talking about the flu and COVID, before we get into our other topics, let's talk a little bit about how the American industry has now kind of ramped up, if you don't get the vaccination, there are consequences. Let's yeah. talk about that for a minute, Dr. Yeah, Martin. I think, you know, what what the HR departments have identified, along with their, their chief financial officers, is that groups that have had employees with COVID have spent a lot of money on, on health care insurance yes. for, the, for these patients. Yep. So you get a lot of these big companies, a lot of which are self-insured, Right. So it's it's actually their bottom line money. It's not just an insurance company that are saying that if, if you don't get your vaccine, you're going to pay a penalty. Right. Uh, and and it's another way of essentially mandating without mandating. But that say you're, you're going to pay an extra couple hundred bucks well, a month. Like, like Delta came yep, out. They were they the did. first one. Two hundred dollars yep. a month added to your premium. Right. And I think Delta and I, I could be wrong on this by dates, but Delta is the last airline of note of the big airlines that hasn't mandated vaccination. I think so. They, they did, they want a different route and I, and it'll be, it's good. It'll be interesting to see what what the numbers look like at the end of the day for those two different techniques. And when I think you talked about the CFOs of these large companies, they look at the numbers and they see in their healthcare numbers and their claims because most of them are self-insured and they can look at those claims, how many millions of dollars they've spent over the last 18 months on COVID. And how many sick days have been cashed out. Yeah, and how many sick days they've lost a patient. No, it's it's been very significant. It's been very significant. And it is, it's a, it sounds, it sounds really harsh, right? But, but it's just a, I mean, it's it's a matter of fact. It's yep. there's the carrot and the stick. You know, like when we got big into the idea that a lot of the insurance companies were giving you a break if you had mm-hmm. a a uh, fitness gym membership. You yep. know, so there was your carrot, right? right. Uh, trying to get people to stay in shape. Well, this is this is the stick. Yeah. Well, if you recall, even before we heard the Delta announcement, you and I talked about this was coming. Yeah. Oh, we did. No, you we absolutely that? did. Yeah. Yep, I absolutely yeah. did. Yep. We talked about. Yep. It. And then the Delta variant announcement came. So I don't know. Maybe yep. we should watch yep. what we say. I mean, we're <laughs> we're we're starting to create news. It's, it's bad. <laughs> okay. 
Well, let's see. We've got uh, some uh, interesting financial reports. United Healthcare and Anthem are behind on billions of payments to hospitals. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, billions. It, it's stating that, for instance, Richmond-based Virginia Commonwealth University Health alleged that Anthem alone owes them $385 million in back claims. Right. And so they have a certain period of time where they can pay a claim without, yep. you know, it being late. They have a certain period of time that they can they can dispute it. Yep. And then this happened a few years back where the insurance companies were actually told that if you don't pay within that period, you're right. going to you're going to pay some interest well, on that. Well, you're supposed to pay 18, it's 1.5% a month, yeah, 18%. Right. But again, it, like in Florida, clean claims are paid in 30 days. Right. If and right. if you're not, you can actually get a uh, yeah, interest can, rate based right. on that. The problem but, is they're like no clean claims. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, That's I mean right. they well, literally the, the 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 disclaimer on that is if they ask for medical records, yep, the not clock a clean claim starts over again. Exactly. You know, exactly. How, and they yep. play that game all day no, long. Pretty much every time. Almost pretty much all every the time. time. Yep. But I think it's interesting on this 385 million that uh, Anthem owns this hospital system, 40% of those payments were over 90 days old, Dr. Mark. Yeah, yeah. I, and, you couldn't run your practice like that. Well, can you tell Anthem that you're not going to pay your premium for 90 days? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it yeah. is. It's definitely yeah. definitely a kind of a one-way uh, one way ticket. It is, so, it is. So you do, and we do, you know, it's it's not just the... It's not just the hospitals; it's also the providers, right. and it really it really does trickle down. Right. But we talked about United and, Anthem yeah, being the biggest money makers too. Let's oh. pick on United yeah, too. Right, right. United's health's unpaid claims have remained at fifty four percent over the last two years, according to a report. More than half of their claims aren't paid in two years. I, I need to figure out how I can work that on my tax bill. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty. I mean, well, we talked about how successful United Healthcare has been and uh, and what their profits have been over the years. And maybe that, maybe if you don't pay, you, you know, you can show a little and, bit. And that was a United report. Let me give you this other stat. Between June of 19 and June of 21, Anthem's unpaid claims rose from 43 to 53%. Remember we said 54 with United, right. accounting for $2.5 billion in claims, Dr. Mark. Yeah. I mean, these these numbers are incredible. And and what you know what's what's the answer to that who is answering that question I'm I'm sure all the hospital associations are they're are all screaming yep. but but yep. you know are they getting any results that's yep. that's really crazy Larry. well they've actually gone to Congress yeah to try and resolve some of this so they're they're looking for Congress in Washington to to who, fix some of this who, who's got the bigger lobbyist United or the hospitals. Uh, yeah. Well, the American Hospital Association <laughs> right. is definitely the lobby. Oh, yeah, they're the, the largest lobby. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. So, yeah, so that's a battle. American Health Insurance Plans is right up there. Right. So but, this should be an interesting fight. But I, I can't I can't help but feel like the big losers here are going to be the consumers. Exactly. Because, I mean, the, exactly. the money's going to come from somewhere. Well, do you, you remember know? the, the uh, patient call-in that we had a few weeks ago? The patient that had found out that his Blue Cross had been uh denied and they said that he had a huge balance and he was on medicare you remember that oh yeah yeah it's been yeah. a bit yeah been exact a bit. situation yep. could happen to all these patients sure. that aren't getting their claims paid well at the same time even if these claims are paid out and even if there is a penalty and the hospitals go where where do those dollars actually come from they're going to come from the bottom line of what clients are paying to to be insured Yep. I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be a trickle down effect. So yep. so it's not like we're trying to uh, 
look for more money from from United and Anthem to be paid out because at the end of the day, that's going to come from consumers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But again, uh, you know, patients complain that United Healthcare denied payments due to a lack of documentation or medical necessity, or delayed payments due to prior authorization. And you know that system, Doctor Mark. Yeah. You deal with it every day. Yeah. Well, prior that's a game. The the worst, the, the biggest fallacy is. When you get a pre-authorization for, say, a procedure, mm-hmm. it still doesn't have to be paid. There's a disclaimer there. there. There's no, there's no yeah. guarantee it's going to be paid. Particularly Medicaid, yep. which you can oh, qualify sure. and unqualify every 30 days. Exactly. Yep. 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 And, and they can just deny deny a claim yep. that's been been approved. Yep. Now that I tell you, what, I, I, we're going to have to figure out a positive way to end the show here because these these are some frustrating uh, pieces of information that we're sharing right now. Well, exactly. Well, I think the positive part is. There are 28 million kids that are fixing to have the opportunity to get vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine at one-third the dose. Yep. All, that's very positive, Dr. All school-age kids are now yep. going to be eligible, yep. and that's, that is very very exciting, and I hope that that's the big boost that gets us to herd immunity. I hope it is, too. All right. Again, well, 68 million people that still haven't been vaccinated 12 and over. And now we're throwing 28 million more into the pot. Yeah, we'll see how many of those uh, how many yep. of those we can get. Yep. Looking forward to those stats. Absolutely. Yeah. Great discussion today, Doctor. Yeah, nice Mark. day. Nice day. Good being with you, Brian was great. Well, we're going to uh, we're going to keep up with the news all week long and join you again next Saturday. Where we'll present some other interesting data, and hope, hopefully we'll see some more good news. Look forward to it, Doctor Mark. Take care. See you next week. You feel better now? We hope you do. Join us again next week for Healthcare Now. For a podcast of this program, go to theanswerorlando.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.